Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, we give you praise in this place today. Amen. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call. So lift your voice. It's the year. And out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Behold, he comes, he's riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, so lift your voice, it's the year of Jubilee. 
Running out, only to run it after me. Cause your goodness. 
thank you for your saving power that has rescued us from sin and continues to do that. We, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for vision. We thank you, Lord, for your protection, God. We thank you for your provision. Lord, so much we thank you for today. And we recognize you as the source of it all. In Jesus' name, we say thank you together. Amen. 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 God bless you as you're seated this morning. You know, as the, uh, as the ushers prepare, I don't know if you knew this, this, uh, this little desk up here is 24 inches wide at the top, and it's, hold on, almost 42 and a half tall. Did you know that? Bet you didn't know that. And uh, how many have one of these at your house? These tape measures here? Everyone probably has one somewhere. And... Uh, you know, we use it, of course, to measure things. And it's important to know what the measurement of certain things are. So if you're going to buy carpet or you need so much of something, you need to have a scale or some way of measuring things. And uh, in Luke 21, Jesus was actually watching the offering being taken. <laughs> he was actually, like, watching it happen. You wouldn't think that of Joe. He didn't care about that way. He did. He, he actually watched it. And he, he saw the big gifts being put in. And then he saw something that got his attention. He saw a widow came, and she put in just a small amount. And he makes this declaration. He uses this measurement. And he said, uh, they've put in from their wealth, but this woman has put in out of her need. And, uh, you know, one of the measurements we can use in giving is trust. You know, when we give and... Um, it isn't in a place maybe of having to really trust God. Is it, is it really true uh, meeting the measurement that Jesus gives us? And so um, I challenge all of us today in our giving. I mean, is there trust as you're giving today? You might be here today and you're like, I don't have much to give. That's great news for you because it's really the measurement is about trusting God. And so if you and I trust him today and... Uh, and, and our giving reflects that, boy, he is pleased. So let's pray today. Lord, thank you that we get to worship you in this manner. We get to worship you and trust you. And you've actually given us a measure, not, not, a, not a precise amount, but you've given us an ability to see what you consider the true giving looks like. And I pray a blessing on this offering. We are grateful to worship you. We are thankful in Jesus' name. 
Amen.
Praise God. He is so good. Amen. Amen. Well, anyways, listen, on your way in today, you received a lot of handouts. And the first one I cover, I want to cover is the announcements that are coming up. We've got a lot of things happening. And praise God, we're getting closer to spring by the day. Now, t didn't feel that way this morning you got up. But there are worse places to be. I, I saw Gordy and Debbie Edwards' daughter lives up in northern New Hampshire. It was minus 12 last night. And right now, it's one degree. God bless them. God's frozen chosen. Uh, but we're looking forward to a nice, we're, I mean, they're talking 40s and 50s after we get through today and into tomorrow. And I'm looking forward to that because uh, there's a lot of good things that come along in the spring. And we'll get to those in a minute. But first, this Saturday, we have two things. On February 12th, this Saturday, 9 a.m. is Lego Derby. Lego Derby for Rangers and Girls Ministries. And then also Women's Ministries is having their breakfast. They didn't meet in January because a bunch of them got COVID. Okay, so, uh, but they're going to meet this Saturday. So keep that in mind. Uh, coming up, we've got a missions choir that's going to sing on March 6th. We've got a very special guest coming that weekend, and that is also our banquet as well, the International Banquet. We didn't have one last year, and I miss it. And I've already lined up some special food to some special people. Uh, but if you would, begin now to think about what you could bring uh, in the way of an ethnic dish on Sunday night, March 6th. The morning, again, is our, is our main session with uh, Greg Beggs, missionary to Africa, grew up in Africa. He's got a lot of great things to share with us. But again, um, nighttime is that great food. It's probably our best, our best meal together. So begin planning now. I, I really want us to have a great time on March 6th. The following weekend, of course, uh, we change clocks. We go back to daylight saving time. I'm looking forward to that. And on March 20, we have a baptismal service that's been, that's been rescheduled from today to March 20. If you have not yet followed the Lord in the ordinance of water baptism, there are applications on the information desk. Fill it out, leave it there with whoever's there, or get it to me, and we will get you on the list. It's always a special time. We have many more people signed up now than we did uh, if, we, if we'd held it today, so I'm glad we held off on that one. Also, we have an annual business meeting coming up in just three weeks, right after the morning service, February 27, our annual business meeting. Now, we need to have a quorum. And hopefully, this has been working out really good, having it right after church, because most of our members are here Sunday morning. So stay around till we get our quorum. If you're not interested in business, go home and have lunch. Uh, or stay with us and find out what happened last year and what we're planning in the new year. And let's see, I think I have one more. Again, I mentioned the Missions Choir. Um, they're going to be sharing uh, one song in the morning, but they've got some practices. Pastor Brandon is heading this up next Sunday, and the Sunday following, 13th and 20th, are going to be a couple of practices. So any questions, see him, email him, text him, whatever you want to do. I think that about covers it on that. Um, also, there was another piece that you received this morning. Um, please look that over. That might be a great thing for you to hand out to somebody. We've got an abundance of them, uh, letting them know what goes on here every week. Okay? So, you know, a lot of us have gotten out of the habit of doing good things when it comes to being together as the body. And so look at what you might be missing and plan to be with us. And then finally, um, we have the latest edition of Worldview Magazine. This is where you get a, an in-depth missions update from our headquarters. So be sure to grab one of those. If you didn't on the way in, grab one on your way out, covering primarily Latin America and the Caribbean. Whoops. Now, this morning, um, <clears throat> we're going to do something a little different. I want to share with you a video message from our general superintendent, Reverend Doug Clay. Uh, Doug is our national leader. 
and he shared this message almost, almost to the day six months ago, and I've been wanting to share it with you. And it concerns, and it's appropriate today, this is like the perfect timing for it, um, some of the fatigue that we felt due to COVID-19. And, um, and he does it in light of the seven churches of Revelation. It's a powerful message. And I really felt like this Sunday is the time to share it with you. I hope that you receive notes on your way in. There are some notes. And of course, there are pens in the seat back in front of you if you want to add something to it as you go through, something that you just feel like God's speaking to your heart. But um, you will really enjoy what our leader, Doug Clay, shares with us today. Let's go ahead and start the video. Welcome to the 59th General Council. We have been expecting you. We have been excited about you being here. So just welcome to this 59th General Council on behalf of my wife, as well as our executive leadership team. We can't tell you how honored we are to have you here and what we are believing for God to do in our midst. So thank you so very much. I want you to take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. You have it in a tablet or book form. There'll be some scriptures on the screen. Is there anybody in the room tonight that's just a little bit COVID-19 fatigued? <laughs> you know, since we last met, we've encountered some invisible plagues that sort of shut us down and sheltered us in. We've encountered some visible plagues that brought the worst out in some people. I don't know about you, but I was never given a playbook in my ministerial education on how to lead a church through a pandemic or how to respond to a, a city or even a nation that's experiencing public outrage. And is it just me? Or does it feel like we're ministering during a time where there seems to be this all-out assault on the church and even a dismantling of American culture? You see it, you feel it, you deal with it every week. Um, there are efforts today to try to remake Christianity into a more inclusive religion. People are using their own judgment as a point of reference rather than scripture. Compassion gets used to override judgment regarding activities and lifestyles that violate scripture and I kind of like what the Christian poet, or the uh, Christian uh, poet Vesali Zhukovsky writes. He says, we all have crosses to bear, and we're constantly trying on different ones for a good fit. But I kind of want to know, what's, what's the Lord's heart in all this? What's he thinking? What's he saying? How does he want us, the church, to respond? I can tell you this, I don't think he's looking for us to find a lighter cross. After all, I haven't heard a trumpet blast yet. That means the rapture hasn't happened, so the church is still in business, the church is still essential, the church is still the instrument that God is using to expand his kingdom here on earth. I feel like in mid-February, the Holy Spirit specifically directed me to the prophetic words that Jesus spoke to John while he was quarantined on the island of Patmos. And Jesus specifically talked to him about seven different churches. When you prepare to speak at a general council, you're thinking, wow, we've, we've got a lot of different genres of expression of ministry in churches. 
But I sincerely believe that Christ's message, those seven churches, is applicable to any and all of us who are here tonight involved in building the church. The very first thing that Jesus said to the church in Ephesus is that he wanted them to stay passionately in love with him. That was his primary concern for the Ephesus church. Now, he had a lot to praise them for. He, he, he talked about them working hard and they endured hardship, they preserved, they, they guarded against false doctrine. But watch this, in Revelation chapter two, verse four, Jesus says, I've got this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did first. They were passionate about ministry. They were passionate about rejecting false doctrines that were coming their way. They were even passionate to suffer for Christ, yet they were doing the work of the Lord without a passionate love for the Lord and each other. I think it's kind of interesting you know, the Apostle Paul, when you think about the Apostle Paul, he wasn't afraid of anything. He wasn't afraid of Caesar. He wasn't afraid of the Roman soldiers. He wasn't afraid of the Jewish Sanhedrin. But he was afraid of this. Look what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. He says, here's what I'm really afraid of, that my mind will somehow be led astray from the sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I don't ever want that to happen to you or to me. So Jesus, to that first church, says, I want you to stay in love with me and each other. Stay in love with Jesus. Listen to me, church. Loving Jesus is not the result of our calling. It precedes our calling, and it gives rise to the continuation in our calling. Loving Jesus is simply a response to his greatness, his glory. Loving Jesus isn't a matter of doing great things for him. It's all about just delighting in who he is. And I would submit to you tonight that loving Jesus is simply the reflex of a soul that can comprehend Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 that says, by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so nobody can boast. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good things that he's prepared in advance for you to do. Tonight I'm just praying that you will passionately fall in love with Jesus again, again, and again. But he doesn't just stop there, he says, loving others. It's interesting that Christ's complaint against the Ephesus church was their inability to live out the greatest commandment. He says, you don't love each other as you did at the first. Now we would all agree that social media has connected us to one another more than any other time in history. But social media has also divided us more than any other time in history. And unfortunately, many social media groups look and feel more like boxing rings than they do discussion platforms. And can I tell you, that's just flat out wrong. I think sometimes people that post on that, it's symptomatic of spiritual issues that they have in their life. It's symptomatic of some issues that the Ephesus church had when Jesus said, you don't love each other as you did at the first. 
Dr. McCauley says, and I quote, the darkest parts of Christian social media are the places where people have convinced themselves that their sincerely held beliefs release them from the responsibility to display the fruit of the Spirit, and virtue is biblical. You know, if, if, if you love God, you're going to love others best. If you love God, if God's the love of your life, you're going to love your neighbor, not just your pre-Christian neighbor, but your family of God neighbor. Jesus says your love for one another is going to prove to the world that you're my disciples. So come on, church. As Christ's image bearers, as God's image bearers, you and I were designed to love God and love others the same way that Jesus loves God and loves other people. Stay passionately in love with Jesus and others. To the church in Smyrna, Jesus says this, I want you to stay strong in times of testing. I want you to stay strong in times of testing, Revelation 2.10. You'll suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I'll give you the crown of life. I think it's cool that the Lord never promised the church in Smyrna. Watch this. The Lord never promised that he would remove their difficulties. Think about that. No earthly solution. In other words, no one regardless of spiritual maturity or spiritual status is immune from suffering. Back when Jesus said in Matthew 16, we just sung about it, he said he'll build his church and the gates of hell not prevail against it. That expression, the gates of hell, is really an expression of death. And no doubt many of you have actually felt the gates of hell coming against you during this last year and a half. But I believe that God has a word for you tonight. And it comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. You remember the story of Jehoshaphat? He was faced with one of the greatest crises of his leadership. And like a good spiritual leader, he gathers his people together and he talks about prayer and fasting. But listen to the counsel that he gives his followers just as they're going out to battle early the next morning, 2 Chronicles 20. People went out to the wild hill country near Tekoa, and they were starting out. Jehoshaphat addressed them with these words. Watch this. People of Judah and Jerusalem, put your trust in the Lord your God. Come on, say that with me. Put your trust in the Lord. Say it again. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will stand your ground. Believe what his prophets tell you, and you will succeed. I believe the word of the Lord is this. Stand strong. Just stand strong. I get it. The last year and a half has been absolutely draining. Ministers are worn out. We're exhausted. We're feeling like we can't handle it. But I want you tonight to let the Holy Spirit whisper to you. No, I want the Holy Spirit to shout to you tonight that standing strong is an attitude in the in the, in confidence in the attributes of God. In other words, when you feel weak, Remember that God, who is omnipotent, says, I got this. When you feel a lack of understanding, God, who is omniscient, says, I'll give you wisdom. When you feel all alone, the God, who is omnipresent, says, I am with you. Standing strong is all about acknowledging and embracing the attributes of God. But I'll also submit to you tonight, it's the word of God that will give you strength. 
The attributes of God can give you a sense of stability, but it's the word of God that can give you strength. I can't promise you that we're not going to face more testings. I can't promise you that we're not going to face more of the enemy's hostility towards the church. After all, the coming of the Lord is pretty soon. So we probably will continue to feel the gates of hell. But I want you to know, stand strong. Stand strong and lead with the word. Because a society in panic can either easily be led or misled. And I believe this is the finest hour for the church to lead culture back to an understanding that God wants to lead us. Stand strong. To the church in Pergamum, he says this, I want you to live above reproach. Live above reproach. Look at verse 13. I know that you live in a city, watch this, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain loyal to me. You refuse to deny me, and even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. Can you actually imagine what it's like to live in a city where Satan has his throne? And I suspect many of you can. Both the believers and the devil lived in the same place. Now, it's cool here. The church held up against the outward pressures of Pergama and even in the face of martyrdom. However, it tolerated an unbiblical teaching. Verse 14 says, I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. Have any of you seen Christians get tripped up the last year and a half? He taught them to sin by eating foods offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. It's obvious there was religious and moral compromise. You have food being offered to idols. And I could talk a whole lot about how much culture we should or should not embrace in order to redeem it. But for a couple minutes, I kind of want to focus on religious compromise. I pray that the assemblies of God, we will never offer the benefits of grace to people without talking about the cost of discipleship. It's obvious that Christians who lack a biblical knowledge are the products of churches that marginalize Bible engagement. When a church gets too distracted for Bible engagement as their central ministry, it produces believers who simply don't know enough to be faithful Christ followers. And I know you know this, but we will not believe more than we know and will not live higher than our beliefs. And much of Christian compromise today in this generation can be traced to biblical illiteracy both in the church and at home. And that's the way that you thrive in the same town where Satan lives is you become a person of the word. You become a student of the word. We overcome the enemy by the word. The answers found to cultural issues, the answers found to race relations are in the word. Public policy will only take you so far, but God's word provides a sustaining stability in a morally shifting culture. Above reproach. Live above reproach. Don't tolerate compromise. To the church of Thyatira, 
Here's what Jesus says. I want you to keep making improvements. I just want you to keep improving. I love this. Verse 19, I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance. I've even seen your constant improvement in all of these things. Isn't that a great thing to have the Lord say about you and your ministry and your church? And I can tell you, in terms of the assemblies of God, I always want to be improving. I want to be correcting our mistakes. I want to be learning from our errors. I want to be fixing our deficiencies. I want to be growing. I want to be growing. Now, I kind of find it interesting here that the town of Thyatira was sort of the least important city of the seven. It was a... um, it was a little military town at the junction of two valleys. And its function, its primary function, was to sort of delay the invading armies long enough so Pergama could get their defenses ready and come over and fight. Uh, I'm going to stretch just a little bit here, but I think Thyatira represents the rural area of the land. And here's something interesting. The smallest, the least important city received the longest letter. So here's tonight what I want to say. Rule America matters to the assemblies of God. Rule America matters to the kingdom of God. Did you know that 43% of Assemblies of God churches are in communities with a population less than 10,000? Every Sunday morning, there are over 450,000 attenders. That's 21.6% of our census that attend a church in a community of less than 10,000. Rural settings have strong built-in relational networks. They're ready-made for healthy church. Acts 2 tells me that there are about 2,600 rural church pastors that will probably retire in the next five years. So tonight, if you minister in or you are a pastor in a rural area, I want to affirm to you that small churches and small communities, you can claim the promise given to Thyatira that you'll have authority over the nations. Because Jesus later on in like verse 26 says he'll give them authority over nations. I'm not saying that from a trendy perspective. I'm saying that from a personal perspective. Many of you know my testimony. I was born and raised in Adrian, Michigan. I'm a third generation Pentecostal preacher's kid and uh, raised by the church. My dad died when I was nine years old, but I was a part of a healthy church. Had a lot of spiritual dads. (laughs) Before spiritual fathering was a popular expression in some apostolic count, uh, settings, man, I experienced that. I had Royal Ranger commanders help me build my Pinewood Derby car, youth sponsors that would take me to Detroit Tiger baseball games. And I know this sounds crazy, but I kind of felt sorry for kids who only had one dad. <laughs> but Bethany Assembly of God was in Adrian, Michigan, a little agricultural community, Lenaway County, but a church that kept making improvements, led by a pastor that kept making improvements, kept the Bible at the center, kept focusing on the things that matter. So my senior year in high school, I felt a call of God to go on my uh, my life, to go into the ministry. But my mom, my single mom at the time, she was the minister of music at the church and received a small income from that and social security. But I knew we wouldn't have enough money for me to go off to Bible school and 
yet I felt this call and I felt this passion. And I'll never forget one Sunday night getting up from an altar. I, um, I just had finally come to the fact I'm going to stay home this first year. I'll get a job at the Merillat Woodworking Factory there. And I'll, ra- I'll just save enough money up to get to Bible school. Yet I had this zeal and I had this passion. And small town, small community. Never forget, I... Uh, I got up from the altar service that Sunday night and I sat in my seat and, all right, I got to do it. I got to put a, I, I got to go over. I got to get an interview and I'll just, I'll take this year off to save up enough money to go to Bible school in a year. As I was sitting there about that time, uh, a retired potato farming couple, their name was brother and sister Bailey. Al and Verna Bailey, they were retired potato farmers from Wauseon, Ohio, and they came over to to Bethany Assembly. In fact, I have a picture of them. I want you to see brother and sister Bailey. I'm sitting on the pew, and they come up, and sister Bailey sits on one side of me, and brother Bailey sits on the other side of me, and and, uh, sister Bailey puts her arm around me, and she says, you know, Duggar, we've watched you grow up in this church. We're proud of you, and I said, oh, hey, thanks. You know, that's really nice. we, we, we just, we want to do something for you. I said, oh, thank you. She says, Al, Al, you tell him. And so Brother Bailey says, well, well Doug, we, we, we just, we're proud of you. We sense the call of God in your life, and we want to do something for you. And she reached in, or he reached in and grabbed an envelope and handed it to me. And I thought, oh, that's kind, that's nice. There's some McDonald coupons in there or something like that. And, and Sister Bailey says, open it up, open it up. I said, okay, I will. All the while, I think I'm just going to get kind of that cheek pinch, hey, we love you, we're proud of you, and all that. And when I opened that envelope up, there was a check made out to Central Bible College in the amount of my first year tuition at Central Bible College for the glory and the honor of the Lord. And I'm telling you, rural church matters. Rural churches can have huge impacts on people's lives, and the Bible says they can be given authority over the nations. So I'm the product. I am the product of some retired potato farmers in a small community who helped fuel the dream. So for every small church leader or small community church leader, keep making improvements, keep making improvements, keep making improvements. In fact, that's a good idea for metropolitan area churches. Keep making improvements, keep making improvements. To the church in Sardis, I like this one. To the church in Sardis, Jesus says this, let your reputation match your label. Now, I would like you to lean into this one tonight. Jesus says, Revelation 3, I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Now, Sardis was a church where its reality didn't match its reputation. Their practice didn't match their tagline on their website. And simply put, It lacked the presence of God. Sardis is a sobering example that it only takes one generation for a church to become spiritually dead. Now, if you hear nothing else that I say tonight, I want you to hear this. 
I don't want to rely on our reputation. I don't want to rely on our organization. I don't want to rely on our structure. I want to become a Bible-engaged, Spirit-empowered church that is known for matching what we say we're going to do. I don't want to just be known as the evangelicals who do tongues. Our reason for being is as follows. We believe in evangelism. Evangelism is not apologetics. It's not social action. It's not political involvement. Evangelism is presenting the gospel to people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let our reputation match our label. We believe in worship. The worship of God is always about directing people's attention to him and his attributes. Don't ever let the human performance of worship eclipse the glory of God. There is a manifest presence of God that he wants to pour out when we come and worship him in spirit and in truth. And what about discipleship? Listen, churches should never, 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 never stop growing at the expense of not doing discipleship. The New Testament church grew wide in evangelism, but they grew deep in discipleship. And as it relates to compassion, I pray like crazy that we will see people like Jesus sees people and that will respond as Jesus respond. Don't ever let lost people become the enemy of your church. So our label says worship, evangelism, compassion, discipleship. Come on, this is the finest hour for our church to impact culture like we've never impacted before. I want our label to match our reputation. We also gotta look at some grim realities. Our stats tell us that the average size of our church is plateaued. The average size has actually creeped up a little bit, but the median size. Did you know that in 2019, 21.8% of Assemblies of God churches in the USA reported no conversion? We've got to let our reputation match our label. In 2019 and 2020, we planted 479 churches. That's awesome. But during that same time, we closed 558 churches. You say, Doug, what's your perspective? Well, first of all, my perspective is filled with great opportunity. For I will not lose my hope. I will not lose my motivation by the grossly exaggerated reports that the church is in demise because I do believe what we sang a few minutes ago. God said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But I feel like responding the same way that the children of Israel did when God spoke to them in Deuteronomy and says, you've stayed at this place long enough, start heading north. So come on, tonight I'm asking you to let God baptize you with the spirit of doing evangelism like you've never done it before, that you'll worship like you've never worshiped before, that you'll disciple like you've never discipled before, that we'll have acts of compassion like we've never had before so that our reputation will match our label. Executive presbytery, executive leadership team, and now the General Presbytery have embraced an audacious goal for us to grow to 15,000 churches in the next five years. 
to have 40,000 credentialed ministers in our part of our ministerial family and to see our ethnic diversity grow to over 50% so that we can declare to the world we have no ethnic majority in the assemblies of God. 15,000, 40,000, 50 plus percent for the glory of God. Let your reputation match your label. Keep making improvements. We're committed to that. All right, to Philadelphia. To the church in Philadelphia, here's what Jesus says. Seize divine opportunities. Just seize divine opportunities. Look at verse eight, Revelation three. I know all the things you do. I have opened a door for you that no one can close. As you know, the church in Philadelphia here was founded to spread the Greek language to the culture east. So the Lord recognizes that this church has little strength, and here's what he says. He says, I'm going to open a door for you that no man can close. Application, in the assemblies of God, I want to be a church that keeps opening doors here and around the world until all have heard the gospel. So that's why we unapologetically believe in and participate in missions. We do believe both missions at home and abroad. We believe that spiritually lost people have a right to taste and see that the Lord is good. Internationally, we believe in the indigenous church principles. We believe in training believers and planning churches, serving the poor, and Internet or domestically, we believe in reaching college campuses through Chi Alpha. We believe in reaching high school campuses. Listen, let me boil it all down. Missions is not a denominational obligation to us. The highest priority of our mission, both in U.S. and world, is not projects. It is people. Reaching people. Unreached people, lost people, real people that need to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's our highest priority is reaching people. And tonight, for just a moment, I want to I wanna go off script. And if, if you're here tonight and you happen to be an AGUSM or an AGWM missionary, I'd like you to stand to your feet, would you? All over this place. If you're a world missionary or a U.S. And come on, church, I want to keep opening the doors, opening the doors, opening the doors, opening the doors, opening the doors for this network of people. Thank you for your service. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for enduring these crazy days of uncertainty and I pledge to you that in the assemblies of God, we're gonna keep opening doors for you to take the gospel here and around the world. All right, number seven, Laodicea. This is a really cool word that Jesus brings to Laodicea. He says, you know what? Don't forget to bring me to the table. Laodicea, this is what the Lord said, bring Jesus to the table. Now, this is interesting. Laodicea had a problem with its water supply. You had a town that wasn't too far from them that was known for their hot sulfur water, sort of providing uh, refreshing baths for people who were weary and hurting and tired. And in another town in the opposite direction, they were known for their cold water. But the Laodiceans, they had a water supply problem because it wasn't either hot or it wasn't cold. 
You might say that it offered no cold water to the spiritually thirsty, and it offered no hot water to the spiritually worried, but they had resources. And maybe that was the problem. They brought resources to the table in their ministry instead of Jesus. In fact, consider this observation. I never want to bring resources to a table without bringing Jesus to the table. Look at verse 20. This might change how you preach and use verse 20. Revelation 3.20 says, look, I stand at the door and knock. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together. I get it. We use that verse an awful lot as a salvation text. But contextually, lean into this. Contextually, it appears that the Laodiceans actually put Jesus outside of his own church and he had to knock on the door to get back in to his own church. I gotta tell you, I don't wanna be the church that replaces Jesus with money. I don't wanna be the church that replaces Jesus with property and with buildings. I'm grateful for the resources, but I'll take the anointing presence of Jesus every time. I'm thankful for return on investment, but I will take the presence of Jesus every single time in our church. The Laodicean church, man, they enjoyed material prosperity. They didn't have debt. But they coupled, and here's the problem. When you couple material resources with, with a sense of true religion, that can lead to a false sense of security and independence. Because all of us know this, that self-sufficient attitude and a lukewarm faith are a threat to ministry effectiveness. And I never want self-sufficiency to replace the presence of Jesus. I never want resources to replace the presence of Jesus. It's only Jesus that can sustain us. It's only Jesus that can build his church. And I'll tell you, Sometimes what we need most in our strategic planning is just the presence of Jesus. Sometimes and you're looking to encourage yourself in the Lord, you just need the presence of Jesus. You don't need another blog. You don't need another podcast. You just need a manifestation presence of Jesus visiting you in your car, on the treadmill, or wherever you're at. I suspect I uh, discovered this a few months ago. February, I uh, had a little physical hiccup that knocked me out of commission for about four weeks. Thankful for your prayers and support and prayers of people and family and back, no long-term ramifications. But I was out of, yeah, that's to the glory of God. I'll give him praise for that. I don't mind telling, it was a stroke. I had a, a stroke of the medulla, wiped me out and uh, don't know where it came from. About four weeks, after my stroke and uh, getting back into a ministry assignment, I had my first traveling assignment. I was to go to the Northwest. I was preaching for my friend Kent Mankins, and then from that Sunday, I was going to be traveling to Southern Idaho for their district council. And, and it had been a particularly trying week. I was just getting back into sort of the routine, 
And in that week, there was some very stressful litigation stuff that was going on. There was a high-profile minister that was having to be disciplined. There was an interview that was taking place at one of our institutions that didn't go the way it did. There were about four or five things that were just, just heavy on my mind. And, and I got up that morning to head to the airport, and that coupled with, man, can I do this? Do I have the strength to do this? And I was just, I was kind of in a, I was in a funk. I just, I was in a, you know, Lord, Ah, I didn't sign up for this. I just I want to want to pastor week after week. I want to know the community. I just I was just feeling troubled in my spirit. So I was driving to the airport. I was actually going from the office to the airport. And so if you know the Springfield area, I was traveling in, in sort of the North Springfield area, Kearney Division Commercial. And I was just like, Lord, I don't, I don't get it. What was this? six-week interruption in my life. I, I want to give my best, but I'm scared. Can I, can I do it? Will I have the endurance? And I had talked myself. How many of you know sometimes you've got to listen to God talk more than self-talk in your life? Self-talk will really put you into a place of depression and a place of... And I was there. I had talked myself into having a bad weekend before I even got out, and I thought, i, I got to do something. So I, serious, 63, cranked up the song, and... I've sung this song. We sang it tonight at my request, but the song was on there, just raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Raise a hallelujah. I thought, man, I kind of like this. A little Bethel song that I do like right here. Raise a hallelujah. Relax. I didn't mean that anyway. Relax. You guys have weird minds, all right? You're going to... I was like, wow, I like that. I like that. So... I'm on, I'm on commercial getting ready to turn on Grant to go up to Kearney, and it starts singing, sing a little louder, sing a little louder. So I start doing it, sing a little louder. I got to the corner of Division and Grant, and there was a panhandler there, and by that time I was singing a little louder. He looked at my window, he turned away, and he's like, I don't want to do it with that guy. And I literally, in about a 10-minute drive, practicing that, singing a little louder than my unbelief, singing a little louder than my enemy, singing a little louder than the midst of my uncertainty, singing a little louder than my fear. There was a manifestation presence of Jesus that hit me in my truck. And when I got to the airport, I was ready to charge hell with a water pistol because the presence of Jesus can do more for you, can do more for your ministry can do more for your spirit, man. So tonight, I want you to stand, and I just want to sing a little louder. And in a moment, we're going to sing a little louder. I've asked our uh, sound and projection team to play a worship song, that worship song that Doug Clay just mentioned. And I want to invite you to sing along, and I want you to stand where you are, and I want us to spend some time in prayer this morning. We've really received a lot. Let's stand together, and they're going to start this. Go, go ahead and start it. We'll just get into it. Let's lift our voice and sing. I'll raise a hallelujah. 
this morning. Doug Clay talked about the seven churches, each one very unique in a very specific place. And we don't know where we fit in that, but I, I know that we can see ourselves. Heather, we won't need any bit music this morning. Um, I know that we can see ourselves in many of those churches at times in our lives, and even as a corporate body. And so what I want you to do with those notes that you got today is, is pray. Pray for our church. Pray for Praise Assembly. And then pray for all the churches across our nation. Because God is going to use us. He's greater than anything that could come against us. Amen? I know sometimes this seems overwhelming. I'm so glad he got it out in the open when he began today. As a pastor, we've been through it all. I mean, you've been through it. Not dis I'm not discounting that. You've been through it. But as a pastor trying to lead in this pandemic and in all the distress that our nation and our world has felt, and my gosh, if you turn on the news today, there's conflict everywhere around the world. That's the world that we live in, a fallen world. But we have a Savior. We have a God who is greater than the prince of this world. And whatever we do, whatever we're going through, whatever we attempt for God, we've got to do it in his power, by his Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus. There's no greater name than Jesus. Again, I really want you to take a move. If you don't mind, find a place of prayer at this altar, at the front of this church. You know, if you need a mask, grab a mask. Come here. Distance yourself from others if you want to. But I want us to do something very concrete. I want us to take that move. And I want us to go after God this morning. Because we need Jesus more than we've ever needed him. Here we are as believers, followers of Jesus Christ, and yet we need more of Jesus. Hallelujah. 
And Lord, we confess that to you right now, that we need you, Lord Jesus. We need you to break through in our hearts. Lord, we need you to move in our hearts, Lord. We need you to awaken your church. Each one of us individual, not just corporately when we gather. And Lord, you need to awaken the sleeping giant in America. Believers that, that, that choose just to stay home even before COVID. And won't fellowship and won't come together and won't contribute to what you are doing around the world through your church. Lord, I thank you, God, for this body of believers and the great things that we have been doing in your name. Lord, I thank you for the outreach locally, Lord. I thank you for the outreach worldwide through our World Missions Program. Lord, I thank you for the faithful leadership of Girls Ministries leaders and Ranger leaders and Rainbows leaders and, and those that help teach life groups. Lord, I thank you, God, for, for everything you provided for, for us. Lord, you are worthy, God. You are worthy. We declare that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, we know that someday every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. But until then, we will. We will bow and we will confess and we will give you honor. Lord, we give you praise, God, for loving us, for saving us. And I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will bring conviction upon this nation. Lord, the people that, that we know who we thought would never have an interest in you would suddenly want to talk to us about you. That they'd want to know about our faith. That they'd want to know about the hope that we cling to. Lord, use us for your purpose and your glory. Use us for your purpose and your glory. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, thank you, God, that you're going to do incredible things in these days. Lord, we wouldn't have believed what you would do, Lord. We agree with Habakkuk, Lord, that you will do things in our day that we would never even have believed in, Lord. We would never have been able to predict it, Lord, that you're going to pour out your spirit in great measure, Lord. God, that you are going to pour your spirit out upon each one of us, Lord. Lord, that we're going we're gonna to finally see you move in our lives, Lord, as you have not in many, many years, Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask, God, that, that you would use us for your purpose and your glory, that, that we would be sensitive to your leading and then be obedient to your leading, that you wouldn't just be speaking to us, but we would be doers as well. And doers of your word as we hear your word, but doers of what your Holy Spirit would want us to do. Lord, we give you all the honor, Lord. We give you all the praise. Hallelujah. I want us to play that other song we have ready. Let's go ahead. And I want us to continue to worship just a little bit here.
to you, God, that you bought us, you ransomed us. Father God, that you paid the price through your son to set us free. Lord, to set us free from the law of sin and death. Lord, to ransom us. God, we give you all the glory, Lord. You are an incredible master. We love you, God. We love you, Lord. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. There's no, there's no more mighty name. There's no other name given to men. Under heaven, by which men must be saved. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Boy, I'm so grateful for our leadership in the Assemblies of God. God has really blessed us with this man, Doug Clay, truly for such a time as this. And as he's gone through the seven churches of Revelation, I think he made it clear, Jesus has to be our focus. In each of those churches, that was their, their number one deficit. And we need, to, we need to lift up. We need to honor our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and let's pray. And as we pray, I, I'm going to be praying a blessing on Doug Clay in particular. Again, I've had this message since I was, I was there in person back in August, the first week of August, and he shared that, and I've been holding on to this thing, just, Lord, when to show it, when to show it. I even left it with Pastor Hans and Pastor Brandon when I was on sabbatical in case something would happen to, to them, and kind of did. The last week of sabbatical, they both came down with COVID, but Pastor Brandon was able to tape his message and hold this aside truly for such a time as this. So I, I pray you hold on to those notes. Stick them in your Bible. Pray over our church. Pray over our nation and use those notes as guidance as you pray. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this word today. Truly, today we've experienced hybrid church, technology and one another at the same time, fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and yet a message brought to us by our general superintendent, Doug Clay. Lord, I pray your blessing on him, Lord God, that you'd watch over him, keep him safe, keep him healthy. And Lord, continue to guide him, Lord, as he, as he attempts to guide this fellowship. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would give, give me wisdom and give our staff wisdom here at Praise, Lord, to guide this flock. And Lord, I pray, God, that each one of us would ultimately be listening for your still small voice. And Lord, that, we would, that we'd amplify the name of Jesus, that nothing else would be more important in our lives than you, Jesus. Just you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray now your blessing on your people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless.